Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. And I'm like, this is par for the course. You're not like a special failure. This is exactly what 90 to 95% of the authors out there go through. You have to decide if you're going to keep going after this because people don't care if you fail. They really don't. Not to brag, but I feel like I have failed a lot more than most people out there <laughs> in writing. If anyone has reasons to boast, I have more. I have more books that have not sold than most people. Hey guys, this is Stacy Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast that brings you a range of tools and stories to heal from tough life situations. Listen, if you're spiritual in any way, or even intrigued by it, you're going to enjoy the episode today with author Ed Szyzewski. He writes a fascinating blog at edszewski.com, and he shares insight into how writing and contemplative prayer come together. So if you're in need of a new way to talk to God, stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. You've been through tough times in your life. We all have. But there's a powerful truth. Your stories will reveal wisdom that you don't know you possess. The question now is, where do you start? There's a simple, tested step-by-step flow for discovering your life theme and putting your life into a beautiful story. A story that allows you to be the best possible version of yourself. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com webinar. I love to hear from listeners personally and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. That's S-T-A-C-Y. Now, let's welcome author Ed Szyzewski. Thank you so much for having me. And great job on my name. I was I was counting all those letters <laughs> to make sure you had them all, but you got them. And I said Pray, Write, Grow is your latest book, but really it's the contemplative writer. Yeah, it's kind of funny how these things work, where Pray, Write, Grow, I really put a ton of energy into that book. And it, it only ended up being about maybe 25,000 words. And then The Contemplative Writer was kind of a follow-up to kind of build on some of the practices that I talked about in Pray, Write, Grow. And I think that The Contemplative Writer one is actually taking off a lot faster than Pray, Write, Grow did initially. So, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about you and, and how you came to be a writer. Sure. I'm, I'm sitting on my front porch here, kind of improvising as a delivery truck nearby. I can hear the birds. <laughs> That's kind of a good like thing to kind of show like, you know, we're we're just kind of making this work right now where I write part time and I take care of the kids most mornings. So I really started writing when I was around twelve and my teacher gave us a, a book. She called it our anything book. You could just write anything in it and draw in it or whatever. And I, I grew up in a family where it was always you're gonna be a lawyer or a doctor or be in business or do something that makes a lot of money so you're secure and safe and you know, whatever, you know, just kind of that American dream thing. Mm-hmm. And that book really opened my eyes to writing. And, and so it, it kind of, it became a theme throughout high school and college that I really enjoyed writing. And I, I kind of stumbled through and mm-hmm. I just, I loved the creative process of working on a book, of, of journaling, of blogging. I, I just love so many aspects of it. It's, it's been with me most of my life, but when my wife started going back to grad school when I was around 28, 29 was when I really got into it more seriously, got a book published, 
and started trying to figure out how to write full-time and making that work on a day-to-day basis and living in a small house where you don't have room to do a podcast so you're out on the porch and <laughs> stuff like that. So, but it's it's great. I love just making the time to write each day. So that gives you pleasure. And where do you draw your inspiration from? I try to keep a running list of articles to read just from various people sharing things on social media using a tool called Pocket. It really could be blog posts, it could be magazines or newspapers. I read a lot of spirituality writing, so Richard Rohr, Henri Nellen, getting into Thomas Merton. Probably my, my favorite writer would be uh, Brennan Manning. And Oh, I love Brennan Manning. So yeah, yeah, Furious Longing of God is just one of those books where I feel like I want to learn how to write like this. Right. Kind of, That's the way I want to write someday. I think that it's important to have kind of long and, and short form things that inspire you and help you think about both ideas and just day-to-day practical things about how to be more organized or disciplined or more intentional right. with your time. A lot of people think that writers' words just come out and they go out onto the paper or the <laughs> computer and it's just lovely, but it's hard work. Right. It is. And I think that one of the themes of my life has been, I just, I've removed so many things from my life, so many distractions, so many interests and hobbies and sports. I stuck with gardening. I've stuck with hockey. And that's pretty much about it. We don't have a television. We try to schedule our days around things. Like I start the day with a run about four days a week. And that's an important time for space for my head. And when I drive the car or when I do the dishes, I try to make sure I have some silence before I put anything else on the radio or any any podcasts on. I try to prioritize that. So it is. it takes a mm-hmm. lot of intentionality and a lot of discipline to create this space in your mind to let those ideas take shape so that when you sit down to write, you have raw materials to work with. Right. Now, I want to go back to your books. Coffeehouse Theology intrigues me. Tell me, what is Coffeehouse Theology? Yeah, so that book took shape at a time when a lot of people in at least my circles, they were talking about studying the Bible and where do our beliefs come from. And there was this perspective of if you talk about culture, if you talk about where our beliefs come from, and it's not, if it's not like God says it, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it then you're falling victim to the culture. And what I found while going to seminary and and studying and reading is that if you are unaware of the way that culture impacts both the writers of the Bible and the way that culture impacts the way that we read the Bible, you're going to be at the mercy of culture. And so acknowledging it and talking about it isn't the same as saying, all right, culture, whatever you say goes, it's more a matter of entering into a process and a conversation. And so we settled on coffeehouse theology as a kind of a, a picture of people coming together to talk about their beliefs rather than kind of lining up in a, in a like firing lines in a battle where you're just like, all right, we're going to you know see who can, who can duke this out and win. Right, it's more like, let's, duke it out. Let's, sit, let's sit at a round table and as, as equals who are interested in scripture and, and let's take all these different sources that are influencing us, our traditions and our nationalities and church history and the global church that has other perspectives that we really need to take into account. So, Afiyah Theology is about creating a conversation about where our beliefs come from. It's kind of part of being a community, too, connecting to other people, and that's one of the ways you can connect with other people is to discuss these things. Right, and one of the things I talk about is that it's kind of finding your place on the map and owning that and saying, like, here's where I come to this conversation, and it's not like, you know, our different denominations are different points on the map, and, and we respect those those points. And so then you moved on to pray 
pray, write, grow. Now, how does prayer and writing come together to help you grow? So there are just a bunch of disciplines that I've been cultivating as a writer. And as I dove a little deeper into contemplative prayer and some of the more basic prayer practices where you're you're embracing stillness and quiet, I found that there was a lot of connections between prayer and writing and and the things that help me pray help me write, and the things that help me write help me pray. And so one of the examples would be learning to be aware of my emotions and my feelings and to to face them. In writing, I think that one of the things you have to do is you have to pay attention to the stuff that won't go away, that kind of nags you, and, and you have to maybe process it with your writing. I think that's a really helpful thing to do. You have to kind of dive into it. And for prayer, that really is the same principle in place where you have to go where you're vulnerable, where there's pain, where you're hurting, and, and you have to bring those things to God. And, that, and that's actually where I've had my most profound experiences, both as a writer and as a Christian who prays. That's the place where God meets me, and that's where I find my creativity. I found it's very healing to write out those fears or requests, or right. it, it is very liberating to be able to actually get them out of your head and onto paper. Absolutely. And then tell me about the contemplative writer. How does that extend from Pray, Write, Grow? So I'm not a big fan of the books that have the like action steps at the end of a chapter or whatever. And I, I know that some people love it, some people hate it. And that was one of the responses I got from Pray, Write, Grow is, so what, what are some of the next steps? I felt like maybe it would be really helpful to put, kind of distill down some of the things that really helped me pray on a regular basis and, and really dive into the process. It's a relatively short book. It's about 10,000 words. So it's 10 practices, 1,000 words each. And mm -hmm. it just gets into things like the exam where you're asking yourself about whether you're discouraged or encouraged and facing the things that maybe are making you anxious that you're worried about or the things that you miss. Or It really helps you pinpoint the areas of your life that you need to be aware of and think about and reflect on. And, and it was developed originally as a preliminary practice before prayer. But it's also just a really useful thing for my writing where I find that the stuff that I'm talking about writing down in my examine process, that becomes the stuff that I end up writing about that week a lot of times too. Interesting. But a lot of people shy away from or just flat out avoid examining what they're feeling inside or examining what their thoughts are. And they just go about their day because it's much safer that way. Mm -hmm. So how do you get people to get into this examining themselves or examining their life? I think the answer depends on whether you're a person of faith, honestly. Should I give like the person of faith answer first? Sure, go ahead. Not not to like say one's better than another, but I think that the answer depends on whether you believe in God. And so if you believe in God, then the place you need to begin is what kind of God do you believe in? And is this a good loving God who is reaching out to you, who, who wants to save you? Or is this an angry, punitive God who basically could take you or leave you and, you know, maybe only accept you on a technicality? I think that we need to start there. What kind of God do you believe in? Do you believe that God loves you and is for you? And so I would say the place that you begin then is you want to uncover the things that are keeping you from God's love. It's not that you're shaking in fear before God, but that there is a God who loves you and you want to remove the barriers. And so I think that's a place to begin with the examine processes. What are the distractions that are keeping me from receiving this love? And I think that love from God is what transforms you. And that's what helps you be kind to others and love others. And so it's not going soft on sin. It's, it's kind of getting to the root problem is that we need to experience love and we need to know that we're accepted. And then when we've experienced that, then we can, we can give that to others. 
And so for mm-hmm. Christians, I would say that for the person who maybe isn't a Christian, who doesn't believe in God, I still think that you have to face your worst fears. And I think that what you find is that they're either not as bad as you thought or that you can manage them and you can move on with your life and still find a lot of joy. And that's something that, that Christians can also benefit from as well. Uh, not to like create two different camps, but I think that you know, speaking in very general terms, you can learn to face your fears. You know, speaking for myself personally, I've gone through some of my worst fears as far as publishing, and uh, several of the books that I've put out have not sold great, and it's hard to get a book deal after you've had a book that hasn't sold very good. You know, if you lined up anybody who's an, an author or trying to get published, I feel like that's kind of the fear, and I've gone through all that stuff multiple times. And I've survived, and I keep showing up, I keep writing, I keep finishing stuff, and right. people keep finding it and reading it. So it's, you know, you can, you can face your fears and go beyond them, too. Right. But do you think sometimes that shame is part of that factor in people not digging deep and not being contemplative and not examining themselves is they're afraid of what they're going to find? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the battle right there. Yeah. That you have to face it. And when I, I go to writing conferences, I just went to the Festival of Faith and Writing and met so many people who were aspiring writers. And there was just a, a fragility and, and kind of just a fear. You know, And it was just that, like, what if I'm not going to be good enough? What if I can't mm. get an agent? What if I can't get uh, a book deal? And I kind of want to just hug them and say, like, yeah, it, you know what? Like, your writing's probably not good enough right now. And, you know, you may not get that agent or that book deal. It's probably not going to turn out great. There's an author that I'm coaching right now, and she's really disappointed after very lackluster sales for her first book, and she's not sure what to do next. And I'm like, this is par for the course. Like, this isn't like, you're not any, like, you're not like a special failure. Like, this is exactly what 90 to 95% of the authors out there go through. Right. And so you have to decide if you're going to keep going after this, because people don't care, like, if you failed. Like, they really don't. Like, Mm-hmm. I, you know, not to brag, but I feel like I have failed a lot more than most people out there <laughs> in writing. Like, <laughs> you know, like Paul saying, like, you know, if anyone has reasons to boast, I have more. Like, like I have more books that have not sold than most people. And um, <laughs> I've, had, I've had so many proposals, you know, make it to the editorial board and, and they're like, ah, you know, it's a great idea. We like it, but we don't know if we can sell enough. Like, that's happened so many times to me. Right. So, yeah, you have to dig deep. And just, I think for Christians, it's where do I sense God's pleasure and joy in my life? And what's what's my calling? And if you're not a Christian, it's, you know, what, what's my mission? Like, what's What am I here to do? You, know, you mm-hmm. only get so many years in this earth. So it's like, what are you going to do with it? And I think writing can be a really meaningful way to connect with people. And it's worthwhile. And, and you, you write something and you finish it. And a few people read it. And you've just learned how to write a book. And so then you write another book or you write another blog post and you you keep learning and growing. And I think that if you realize that you're the product, you're the thing that's growing, then you can kind of keep going with that and you, you get better. And eventually you'll find a bigger audience to read your stuff if you keep learning and growing and, and pushing yourself and trying and and getting up when things don't work out the way you want. That's exciting. And what I always encourage people to do is start out with, and especially those people who don't consider themselves writers, I always encourage them to start with their spiritual story. Just write out your spiritual story. Would you recommend that? Absolutely. I feel like that's such an important high stakes area. I feel like that's the kind of the vulnerability test is, you know, you're kind of going to that place where, there's a lot at stake and there's a lot going on. So that's definitely a place to explore with your writing. I've definitely done that with Coffee House Theology. One of the uh, reviews was noted that 
there was so much, it's a book about theology, but so much of it shares my own story of finding what I believe in and becoming more generous toward other people and hoping the best for them and, and working together with people who have different perspectives from my own and having a less defensive approach to the Bible and how I approach it. And, and today with prayer, it's definitely I'm sharing out of my own struggles where I, I felt like I didn't know how to pray. I couldn't do this stuff. And not that I'm writing as some amazingly experienced master of prayer, but I've come to a place where I have basically thought, this is just me saying words out loud in a room by myself. This is not doing anything. There's who knows what, what God even is, or if God is real, who knows what God even thinks of me. Kind of going from that, like that pit of despair to a place of peace and rest, and that this is something that I lean on every day. And that is such an integral part of my life that I set aside time for it. And I've asked you to, to read a part of one of your books, and you're going to share with us from Pray, Write, Grow, correct? Yes. So this, okay. was, uh, this is when I started to finally face up to the fact that I've been distracting myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, I started taking walks with our firstborn son most mornings so that he could nap. We walked nearly every bitter cold winter day with him. I bundled him up in a stroller, sleeping sack, and a snowsuit. He could sleep for one or two hours most days, and I acutely felt the drain of my writing and prayer time. While I typically listened to podcasts during our walks, I began to question the wisdom of this. I had so much work to do. Perhaps I didn't need to listen to podcasts for the entire walk. What if I could use some of the walk to think about writing topics? At the very least, I could sit down to write with some fresh ideas scribbled in a pocket notebook. And if the writing ideas didn't come together, I reasoned that I could recite some prayers. I could also meditate on scripture verses from the morning office, one of a series of prayers and readings known as the Hours or the Divine Hours. The possibilities were endless, really. Almost every Christian I know has said at one point or another, I don't pray enough. What if my walks could become havens for prayer each day? Such plans always start with enthusiasm and optimism, but despair quickly begins to take hold. While this plan sounds perfectly sensible in retrospect, I've been listening to podcasts, quote-unquote, religiously every single day at that point in my life. They were, quote-unquote, essential for my walks. I love podcasts. It's like taking the best of the radio and the internet with you wherever you go. <laughs> Habits and love for entertainment aside, there was something far worse lingering in the back of my mind. Something that I didn't even fully realize until the first time I turned off my iPod and left my headphones in my pocket during the walk. I'd been using podcasts to avoid being alone with my own thoughts. Podcasts were just one of the many tools I'd been using to avoid self-reflection. As soon as I started walking without podcasts playing, my mind exploded with worry and fear. I can't even say that I was fully aware of this happening. The habits of anxiety and worry simply kicked in as soon as I had some free space in my mind. The podcast had been one of my strategies for keeping my worries at bay. Those first few days of trying to walk without podcasts were torture. Some days I caved in after a few minutes. Other days I endured the silence of my thoughts for about 30 minutes before flipping my iPod on. I tried to focus on praying. I tried to focus on writing ideas. Instead, my mind just spun out of control. I couldn't focus on much of anything. It was a disaster. Before giving up, I made a bargain with myself. I decided that I couldn't stand being in my own head for an entire walk. The podcast became a reward on the way home. This incentive kept me going. I faced my chaotic thoughts every morning. Over time, the dread of those walks began to dissipate. In fact, I started to realize the things I'd been obsessively worrying about were legitimate writing and prayer topics. 
Soon I began jotting down notes in my pocket notebook or tapping ideas on my phone's note app. At the same time, I began opening up about my anxieties and fears to God in prayer. After writing a note, I often prayed about that particular thing, offering my problems to God and letting my mind wander. Sometimes I reached clarity on a particular issue, and the more I inched toward clarity, the more I had to write about. That's really insightful. And I particularly love the part about enduring the silence of your thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> because we all struggle. We'll take anything for a distraction, right? Right. Yep. Anything at all. And that's a discipline that you're developing. Yeah, it's to love silence and to be aware of my thoughts and to be present with them and, and then to offer them in prayer and to make that a practice and, and to not turn to a distraction or to turn to something else until I'm you know, reasonably at peace with where I'm at. The more you do this, the more you start to realize what it feels like to be healthy. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like running. Like if you run enough, you start to feel like I have all this energy and anxiety or worry, and I could really use a run. And it, it really helps to do that. And I think that these disciplines, they, they train you and teach you to be aware of your state of mind. And, and you realize, okay, I really need a little bit of time to sit in silence because you, you know what it feels like to be at peace versus to be in chaos or to be avoiding something. So is this what you mean by contemplation or contemplative prayer? Tell me a little bit more about yeah. that. Yeah. So there are all kinds of practices that people use. Contemplative prayer is more or less just leaving yourself aware and open to God's love so that it's creating a space in your life for God to speak, to move, to act. And it may not be anything. It may just be you sitting in silence. Like It's not like you get amazing epiphanies, but it's more about resting in the fact that God is present and loving. And so people use different tools and, and practices to keep their minds from getting distracted. So people will do the Jesus prayer. Sometimes people use a, a sacred word. That's something that Thomas Keating talks about in his books. Uh, so maybe just the word mercy, the word uh, beloved, the word peace. And you just, just use that word as a tool to keep your mind focused from wandering off into your thoughts. And it's, it's always going to be a, a struggle, especially at first, to to sit in silence for, say, 20 minutes and to not let your mind wander and, and think. It's a challenge, but contemplative prayer, you know, people use breathing, too, for contemplative prayer, where you just try to focus on your breath and just let that become your focal point. And it's not like you're creating emptiness, it's that you're creating a space for God to move and to work and to be present with you. If anything, it's a rest. It's a time of rest for me. Well, and your mind needs time, that quiet time to be creative then in that space. I mean, you've got to have that downtime, so to speak, right. in order to have the more energetic times. Is this similar to mindfulness? Yes. It's a lot of the same principles that you're aware of the present moment. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like to say to people is that if you're trying to pray, but you're you're worried about the future or you're living in the shame of the past, God's here in the present moment with you. So you need to practice ways to be aware of God in the present moment. And then God can speak to those things in the past or the future, but you know, you're not going to have a productive time of prayer if, if you're living in the past or the, the future. Right. I need to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so you have a giveaway. Tell us a little bit about those. Yeah. At theedsuzeski.com so I, I offer my ebook creating space and another book on prayer it's uh, why we run from god's love they're both just short ebooks about 5000 words each and uh, they're free gifts to subscribers who sign up for my newsletter i write about every other week and it's just a personal note about what i'm thinking about my rule is that i try to do the Brené Brown daring greatly thing where it's like 
I just share what's really on my mind. It's, it's off the record. It's private. It's not a public note. Mm -hmm. But I, I just try to be honest with people about where I'm at and, and try to share things that I think might help them their own prayer lives or with their own journeys as writers. Anytime I have a book discount, I always let my newsletter subscribers know about it first, too. That's excellent. Well, Ed, thank you so much for sharing your information. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it's been a real pleasure to be here. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. I really liked Ed's take on healing. He believes that the path to healing is about going through our pain rather than numbing it or distracting ourselves from it. Contemplation helps us become present in the moment, and that, in turn, helps us discover places that need to be explored further in writing. There are so many times we try to gloss over our hurts or past difficulties. We just try to get through them and then ignore them. Or we squeeze those tough times into a small place at the back of our mind and just hope they don't pop back out. But when we do that, we aren't truly recovering from those hard times. We aren't resolving that conflict. We're ignoring it. It hurts us in ways we don't even realize. Research has proven that pulling that pain out and the simple act of writing about your feelings, even a short amount, is incredibly beneficial. We know that it even boosts your immune system. I encourage you to try it out. Think back to a tough time in your life or a time when someone hurt you and write about your feelings. In other words, lean in to get through. You can get started on that in my upcoming webinar. In the webinar, I teach you the four simple proven methods to writing the very first chapter of your life story in just seven days. I teach you a simple way to get those stories out and where to start. With that, you also get a free life storytelling toolkit, which is really useful. So head over to stacybrookman.com slash webinar to get it. Well, that's all we have for today. In the last episode, Evan Hansen discussed the two journeys to manhood. So if you're raising boys or know someone who is, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview music legend Radney Foster, who shared his heartbreak when his ex-wife moved with their four-year-old son to France and what he did to stay connected to his child and resolve the anger. So if you've had some heartbreak yourself, stay tuned for that. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. One more thing, we're doing something fun and counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day was written in 1940 by Eleanor Roosevelt, entitled The Moral Basis of Democracy. Roosevelt's first writing as First Lady is a heartfelt call for all Americans to choose love and faith over hatred and fear. With the threat of the Third Reich, she establishes the idea that the core of democracy is a spiritual responsibility to other citizens. She takes an inspiring stance in defense of democracy, progress, and morality. The wisdom imparted here is a must-read for every American. Check out all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And remember, life is a story. It's never too late to start telling yours.